Okay, Texans, here we go. This is it, the big week, week 18. I told you many months ago, or at least three, that it would all come down to this. I felt like it would, and it has. It's the Texans and the Colts. Here we go again. Now, I am going to give you my thoughts on this series, on this game, on what's really important, and we'll also hear from Matt Taylor, who's the voice of the Indianapolis Colts. Good guy. I really enjoy talking with him, always at the Combine and during these matchups with Indy. Uh, and even though I hate the Colts like poison, in a healthy sports way, I've made clear what that means before, I really enjoy Matt and a lot of other people who work for the Colts. There are division friends, but they are very much foes on the field. First of all, what's a rivalry? Is a rivalry two teams that get together a lot and it's relatively even? Maybe it's not that even over the course of the last few years or so. Maybe a team goes on a run. But over the course of time, it's a rivalry for a reason because it's relatively even. And I would say that would be the Texans and the Titans. That's a good rivalry right there. Relatively even. They might win a few in a row. You might win a few in a row. They have their time to shine. You have yours. With the Colts, I don't think it's a rivalry. I think it's a series. It's definitely a series, but it's not a rivalry. It very much is a nemesis, the Colts are, to the Houston Texans. This is the all-time greatest Texans villain opponent. There is no match. I know you might be thinking, well, New England, Mark, we go up there, can't win, lost in the playoffs twice. I get it. New England's pretty solid, and I know they've changed a lot, but so have the Colts. In fact, the Texans and the Colts have matched up 44 times, including the postseason in 2018, when the Texans hosted Wild Card Weekend and lost to Indy badly. Andrew Luck and company getting over. T.Y. Hilton wearing the clown mask coming into the building because J. Joe made a comment about him being a clown or something. It really wasn't that damaging a comment, but it did damage as it turned out because Hilton took it and ran with it with the clown mask. I thought there's no way the Texans are going to lose that game, but they did. Anyway, let's get into it, shall we? My thoughts on this series, I've been to all of them. I have called every play in the series between the Texans and the Colts, going back to year one, 2002. And that year, the Texans actually played the Colts close at home. Defensively, they did a nice job against Peyton Manning and friends, but they just couldn't score points that year. You know about that three-touchdown game they had against Pittsburgh when the defense scored three touchdowns. That year, there were a lot of really good defensive performances, but the offense could not match up, and the Texans went 4-12. and Anyway, the Colts won in sweeps in 0-2, 0-3, 0-4, 0-5. And going to the RCA Dome back then, I'll stand by this. That is the loudest building I've ever heard in the NFL. That building was so loud, and it held, what, less than 60,000? There was something about it. It was a band box. It was a basketball gym, and it had carpet. I don't think you could call that turf. It was outdoor carpeting laid on top of cement. And Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, with their team getting a lot of leads thanks to Peyton Manning and the offense, they would fire off, rack up sacks. Those guys are Hall of Fame candidates because of Peyton Manning getting those leads. I don't want to take anything away from them as individual players. They were awesome. Give them their due. But the offense is what stirred the drink very much for the Colts in those years, and they played numerous playoff games, of course. They were feasting in the AFC South, a division that was invented 
when the Texans came into the league in 2002. Before that, you had the Colts coming from the AFC East. You had the Titans coming from the AFC Central and the Jags as well. And the AFC South was born when the Texans were born. You know the rest of the story. But Peyton Manning owned the Texans for a long time. So sweeps in 02, 03, 04, 05, 06. Up there, not good. Tough matchup indeed. But the first ever breakthrough win for the Houston Texans against the Colts was Christmas Eve 2006. Gary Kubiak's first year. David Carr at quarterback. Andre Johnson at receiver. Making a big play to get the Texans in field goal range late. Throughout that game, they ran the rock well. Ron Dane running for 150-plus. Vontae Leach caught a touchdown pass in that game. And the Texans got the win at the buzzer with a Chris Brown field goal. And Nobody who was there will ever forget it. That's one of a handful of tremendous victories for this franchise that we will always remember. The Texans could win 10 Super Bowls. You'll always remember a few. Opening night, the first time you beat the Colts. I'm going to say the first time you beat Indy in Indy. We'll get to that. And I'm certainly going to include the Case Keenum-led victory at Tennessee with them wearing the Oiler uniforms. You'll never forget that day. And there are some others, but we don't have to get into all those right now. This is about the horseshoe, about the guys wearing royal blue. All right, so you get that win, but then you go into another drought. 07, it's a sweep. 08, it's a sweep. I remember Sage Rosenfels quarterbacking the 08 game up there, and you got kind of close, but not close enough. 09, this is a good Texans team. Started off the season 5-3. and three. Let's go to Indy. Take our shot. Go to Indy. Unable to get it done, but you have a field goal opportunity at the buzzer to tie. Chris Brown misses it. Ouch! You come home. You play the Titans on Monday Night Football. A buzzer miss field goal again against the Tennessee Titans on national television. Then you play the Colts again, and it's a 17-point lead, and you can't win it. Now, I kind of glossed over the 08 sweep by the Colts because we all know what happened that year. In fact, I asked indie media, when I say the word Rosencopter, what does it mean to you guys? They just call it helicopter. They don't call it Rosencopter, but we know what Rosencopter is. It's a 17-point lead. 17-point leads are significant in this series, by the way. 17-point lead at home against Indy. You have the ball five minutes-ish to go, driving in plus territory. Rosenfels trying to make a play, trying to get a first down with his body, just gets helicoptered around on a big hit, and the ball comes out. Gary Brackett picks it up, runs it in for a touchdown. You are only up three at that point. The 17-point lead was reduced to 10, by the way, when Peyton Manning drove down the field and scored. So you have the ball up 10 in plus territory. Now they score. You're only up three. You get the ball back. What's going to happen? Are you going to be able to move the ball? Well, Rosenfels fumbles again. I don't want to take anything away from the good things that Sage did here because he did many good things. He won games, threw the ball very well, and I like Sage a lot for doing that. But that was a rough day, and he admitted it, wrote about it in, what was it, the Players' Tribune. He had a big piece on how that game, that Rosencopter game, affected his career. Anyway, that was a blown 17-point lead. 9 blown 17-point lead. So you're really frustrated. But 2010 starts off, and you're thinking, are we going to be able to do something here? You're coming off a winning season, the first ever in franchise history at 9-7 and seven in 2009. Missed the playoffs, didn't get the help you need on the final day. Then you take on the Colts, opening day. 
What's going to happen? Arian Foster, a back who appeared in the final two games of that 9 season, he had played a bit on special teams before that, but carried the ball extremely well against Miami the second to last week of the season and started against the Patriots in the season capper and performed brilliantly. I think he had two touchdowns in the fourth quarter when the Texans were down a couple of scores. Anyway, on opening day, Everybody knows about this. 231 yards for Foster. He goes nuts on the Colts, and you win not quite a runaway. It looked like a blowout. They were up 17 at one point, and I thought, "Uh uh-oh, the dreaded 17-point lead. But how do you dread a 17-point lead in the history of this series, you might? Anyway, Foster ran well. Peyton Manning threw for over 400 yards in that game, by the way. Kept coming back on a Texans defense that would eventually really struggle that season. But you got the win, and it was so sweet to beat them for only the second time ever. That's right. It's 2010. It's the ninth season of Texans football, and you finally get your second win over the Colts. Later on, Monday Night Football, you'd lose up there. Okay, so you have two victories in your first nine years. Then 2011 hits. Manning is hurt. He's got that neck problem, the fusion surgery. Kerry Collins is quarterbacking. You beat them on opening day in your place again. This time it's Ben Tate running the ball very well. And Arian had a hamstring early on. He did certainly play a lot and play very well in 2011, but missed the season opener, and I think game two as well. But... You got them again. So victory number three against the Colts, making some progress. And later in the season, you all know what happened in 2011. Texans clinched the playoff berth at Cincinnati. Texans with the next man up campaign. T.J. Yates, third quarterback in. You know all the legendary stuff. Well, the subtlety of this as it relates to the Colts series is you're taking the Colts on second to last week of the season, Thursday night game, national television, up there. There's no Manning to worry about. The Colts are having a horrendous campaign, only one win to that point, and Dan Orlovsky is quarterbacking for the Colts. Remember Dan Orlovsky stepping out of the back of the end zone. You all know him now from ESPN, but he stepped out of the back of the end zone for the Lions. He was a Texans backup for a bit, and here he is in Indy quarterbacking the Colts. This should be a victory, right? You have your best Texans team ever. Wait a minute. Orlovsky and the Colts get the victory. He hits Reggie Wayne late in that game. Colts win. And it was a bit of a heartbreaker at the time because even though you had already clinched a playoff berth, you had a chance at a first-round bye. Not the top seed, but a first-round bye because there were two buys back then. But you didn't beat the Colts. Had you beaten the Colts, that regular season finale against the Titans would have been for a lot. However, it wasn't because... You lost to the Colts and Dan Orlovsky. Okay, let's go to 2012, shall we? Andrew Luck drafted by the Colts. This is how painful this was. They have their worst season ever. They beat you once, and they end up with Andrew Luck, who everybody thought was going to be great, and he was. So Andrew Luck quarterbacks the Colts, and this reminds me of C.J. Stroud a bit. The Luck campaign is rookie year 2012. They go from 2-14 and 14 to playoff team. They made it as a wild card, and they did it by, in part, beating the Texans in the regular season finale. And this was a particularly painful loss that nobody remembers. This is one of the all-time great painful losses for the Houston Texans, and of course it's against the horseshoe up there. Because the Texans beat the Colts a couple of weeks earlier at NRG Stadium. Remember, we all know what happened here, right? The Texans had the top seed, not clinched, but they were in the category of 
possessing the top seed if the season ended today. We're all familiar with the chart you see on Sunday Night Football and all the national shows and whatever media you consume. So the Texans go to New England at 11-1, and get blown out. Then they come home, and they have to beat the Colts, don't they? They do. They beat a hot Colts team. That was a hot Colts team coming in with Andrew Luck, and I give the Texans credit. That's a good victory over the horseshoe that very few people talk about, one of the 10 that you have against them all time. Beat them in 2012 down the stretch to clinch the AFC South. Okay, that job is done. You get the hats, you clinched. Minnesota lost to them at home. Uh Uh-oh. Now have to go to Indy and beat them again in order to get the top seed throughout the postseason to have home field advantage throughout. My gosh, that's two games at home you're going to get. I mean, if you win the first, you get two at home, and it's your best chance ever to get to the Super Bowl. But they couldn't beat Indy that day with rookie Andrew Luck and Deji Kareem running a kickoff back for a touchdown. Ouch, right? That's 2012. Okay, 2013, Manning's gone. He's in Denver. These games are notable in that, especially the one here, in that you're really struggling. We all know 2013 started off 2-0, lost 14 in a row. Among those losses, along the way, Case Keenum starts. He's in his second year, technically kind of a rookie because he's playing for the first time, but he's in his second year. He was a rookie in 2012. And it's Sunday Night Football. You have the Colts at your place. Keenum's playing. He throws three touchdown passes in the first half to Andre Johnson. It was amazing. It was amazing. You have this big lead over Indy. Everybody's celebrating, even though it's a really rough season. You still have a chance to turn it around, and Gary Kubiak goes down at the half with the mini stroke. What? Of course, that happened against the horseshoe. It did, because weird things have happened against the horseshoe. This is what I'm, I'm going to get to the big part here when the Texans take them on this weekend and what this all means, but I'm setting it up for you, Okay. So that night was obviously very painful in many ways. Kubiak, thankfully, turned out to be okay. But you lost the game. In the second half, you come out. Your head coach went down. Everybody saw the ambulance arrives. He's taken to the medical center. You don't know what's going to happen. But you hear that things are okay. However, second half, you just blow the lead, lose to the Colts, and there it is. It's a season sweep by Indy. 2014, Bill O'Brien arrives. He knows the importance of this. And the Colts somehow... Was it a 24-0 lead? How about 24-0 leads? I think it was a 24-0 lead or a 24-0 run. Pittsburgh had a 24-0 run that year. The Colts built a 24-0 lead on Thursday Night Football, national television, at home. But the Texans roar back, make a tremendous comeback. Along the way, J.J. Watt, scoop and score. We've talked about this play many times. You saw the highlight many times during the Watt Ring of Honor induction coverage. Watt runs it in for the score. They're celebrating. You're down five at the time. I felt like there's no way the Texans are losing this game now. They ended up losing the game anyway, but that Watt highlight was tremendous. However, another loss to the Horseshoe. And later on that season, Bill O'Brien, give him credit, man. He was playing the Colts tough. Up there, you lose Ryan Fitzpatrick through the course of the game, and Tom Savage is playing, and somehow you only lose by seven. Late in the game, Savage gets hurt. You end up getting swept by the Colts, and Keenum finishes off the season. We've talked about that when Keenum came back this year. But the relevance here to the Colts series is that you get swept again, and after the season, I think Bill O'Brien said this in his Goodbye Coaches show to send off the 2014 season into the books. 
O'Brien said, you know, we had a winning season, but we really haven't done anything until we beat Indy. He knew the importance of beating Indianapolis, and I like that about him, that he knew you got to go through the Colts to get the division. But by the way, that was the last time the Colts actually won the division, and they have a chance to win it this year. Need help, but they have a chance to win it this year. But the Colts have not won the division since 2014. And they went to the AFC Championship game that year and lost. And that's the year where they hung the banner, and everyone makes fun of them for hanging a participation banner for being in the AFC Championship game. Anyway, that was the last time they went. So 2015 hits. You lose to the Colts at home. This is the Hasselbeck in a diaper game. I mean, my gosh, they just, just one after another. I'm just doing this off the top of my head, folks. Matt Hasselbeck has Montezuma's revenge. It's Thursday Night Football again. The Colts at your place. Andre Johnson is now a Colt. He's not having a great year at all. And they come in to NRG Stadium and beat the Texans. Hasselbeck throws two touchdown passes to Andre Johnson, and we call it the Hasselbeck in a diaper game because he had Montezuma's revenge. So Hasselbeck and the Colts get over on the Texans, and this was a really painful night because it's Andre Johnson, it's Hasselbeck. My goodness, can you please get a victory over these guys? Nope, not another one, not yet, because to that point, the Texans had only beaten the Colts, what, three, uh, one, two, three, four times. Uh, that's it. All right, so 2015, later that season, I'm not going to recap the whole 2015 season, but you know that the Cleveland Browns are getting a lot of love for having four quarterbacks start for them for the first time since when? 2015. The Texans had four quarterbacks start for them and win and had a winning season. So you got to give the Texans credit for finding ways. They were 2-5. and five. They rebounded to win the division. And along the way, I mean, early on, it's Hoyer, Mallett, and then Mallett goes out, Hoyer, Hoyer goes out. You got T.J. Yates. Yates goes out. You got Brandon Whedon. All right, Brandon Whedon came off the bench in the Colts game up there late in the season 2015, and it was magnificent. It's not like he lit it up, but he'd only been in the building a couple of weeks, and earlier that season he was playing, literally playing for the Dallas Cowboys. So it was so cool to have cast-off Brandon Whedon come into your building and lead you to a victory over the Indianapolis Colts on the road for the first time ever. The Texans were 0-13 to that point, and they beat the Colts for the first time and that, my friends, is my favorite road win ever, other than the clinching of the playoff berth in 2011. I just thought that was magnificent. It was so good to be a part of that. I'll never forget that day, how good it felt to finally beat the Colts in Indy. And on your way, because the Colts were still very much alive for the division title, on your way to preventing them from winning the division, Texans do win it. It was very gratifying. I know the postseason didn't go well. A blowout loss to the Chiefs, wild card weekend at home. But you won the division. You beat the Colts for the first time ever on the road. Very nice. All right, that's 2015. 2016, a sweep of Indy for the first time ever. You swept Indianapolis. And guess who did it? You needed a great quarterback to do it. Brock Osweiler. Wait, did I say great quarterback? Look, Brock, Brock takes a lot of heat. I get it. The numbers aren't pretty. It was not a good situation at the end of the year. We all know that. But Brock was a winning quarterback for your Texans. And one of those wins was Sunday Night Football. Again, national television. These two teams hooked up on national television many times. So it's Sunday Night Football. Texans are down. Brock finds Lamar Miller at around the 10-yard line. Lamar Miller does a dance and 
jukes and does whatever he does to shake defenders and get into the end zone. And now you're thinking, wait a minute, we got a shot at this thing. Uh, you make another stop. Brock finds C.J. Fedorowicz for the game-tying touchdown. Tremendous throw by Brock. This was his best game. I took a lot of heat. I'm going to, you know, lunchtime confessions with Landry and Lopez, the in-the-loop group, Figgy. This is the game where I said, Houston, we have a quarterback. All right? I was really hyped after this one. Brock played extremely well. You go to overtime. I think you made a stop on Luck. Brock, you must have because they win it with a field goal. Brock finds Jalen Strong for the field goal spot along the left sideline, gets out of bounds. Now you spot it for the winning field goal. You get the victory over the Colts and come from behind fashion. This was a very un-Texan-like, historically, performance against Indy. To come from behind and win it like that, it was a sensational win. It was euphoric at the time. A lot of people don't remember. A lot of people do, as you listen to me now, recap it. And that's why I got so hyped thinking, this is Brock's coming out party. Didn't turn out to be the case, so I ate a lot of crow on that one. But I was there for it that night. Later on that season, you had a three-game losing streak going. The Texans were 6-3. and three, Then they lose three in a row. It was Mexico. It was the Chargers. Was that the order? And then it was Green Bay. On the road, the snowy game, Ryan Griffin catches the touchdown pass. You lost three in a row. Now you got to go to Indy and find a way to win for the second consecutive year up there. Are you going to be able to do it, really? Well, they did. They did do it. They beat the Colts with Brock Osweiler, Whitney Merciless, and Jadeveon Clowney went nuts. You lost Watt week three of this season. But somehow the Texans have the number one defense in the league under Romeo Cornell after having the number three defense in the league in 2015. That 2015 victory at Indy was 16-10. to The 2016 victory was another low-scoring game, and they came up with a Big stop. Andrew Luck, a big strip sack. I think Clowney stripped it. Merciless fell on it. Texans scored, and they got the win. And it was a beautiful thing to see. Back-to-back -back on the road in Indy? Are you kidding me? Great. All right, let's go to 2017. I'm just going through this Colts series. Top of my head, folks. Watson emerges as a tremendous passer, and he looks really good early. We know that. I don't have to recap all of that. He has that six weeks of 19 touchdown passes, insane production. But then he blows out his knees, done. You're playing the Colts in the next game. You started the season with Tom Savage, and you kind of semi-finished it with Savage a little bit. He played a couple of had a couple of starts late in 2016. So you're thinking, okay, you lost Watson, and that's painful. But you have Savage, and you're playing a bad Colts team. Are they bad? Let's just put it subpar, whatever. They've got Jacoby Brissett going. What's he going to do to you? Well, he did beat you week three in 2016 as a Patriots rookie. Now he's a Colt trying to make some noise for them. He's at your place, and I'm thinking, you got to get this win, right? Savage has to be up for the task. Nope, couldn't get the win. Jacoby Brissett gets that victory and gets the return victory up there to conclude the regular season. That's right, another season finisher at Indy, and Brissett got that one, so a season sweep for the Colts. And after that, Rick Smith was gone. Things changed again for the Texans organization. 2018, overtime win at Indy up there week four. You're 0-3, have to have it to avoid an 0-4 start. Get it at the overtime buzzer, kind of like the Titans game, Fairbairn at the overtime buzzer. Uh, he knocks it through, and the Texans get the win. I'm not going to go through all of that game because there were a lot of uh, twists and turns. You had a big lead. Colts caught up, but you win it in overtime. Awesome. Later on in 2018, though, I talked about it at the outset of this podcast where you get 
the Indianapolis Colts come into your place and you have a nine-game winning streak going in 2018, they stop it with a victory at NRG Stadium. And moments later, it feels like, they're visiting your place in the postseason wildcard weekend. And nope, can't get that one. We talked about that game. Can you believe all this? 2019 was a split because the Texans lost up there, but they got a hard-earned win over the Colts on a Thursday night. Again, national television, Texans, Colts. It was Brissett. It was Watson. Texans gutted out a win. Tremendous defense. And that was four days after getting blown out by the Ravens. Texans had to have it, got it, eventually won the division. Good stuff there. And then 2020, couple of wins for the Colts and really weird stuff happening late with Texans turnovers and such in both of those games. 2021, do I have to recap this? Davis Mills start number one. Nope, not very good. You lose, uh, let's see, at home against Indy also in 2021. 2022, here it is. It's weird because that was a season where the Texans did not lose to Indy. It was not a sweep because it was a tie and a victory. But after both games, I felt weird because after a tie, you feel weird. That was opening day. And I felt weird after the finisher, the conclusion of the season, the game at Indy, because you won the game, which was awesome to win. I always love beating the Colts. I mean, this is rare, as I said. You won the game, but you lost the number one overall pick. How do you feel about that? At the time, I felt like, eh, now you don't control the draft, but see what happens, right? You have no choice but to see what happens. Well, it's funny because we'll never know what would have happened if the Texans had the number one pick in the draft. We'll never know. I mean, people can say they know, but they really don't know until you really talk to the people involved. But having the second pick, and if you want a quarterback, you're going to take the top prospect on the board, and that's C.J. Stroud, and hasn't that worked out really well for Houston? And the opening game between the Texans and Colts this year was Anthony Richardson running for a couple of scores, and all of a sudden you're up against it. But he goes out of the game, and you feel like, oh, we can deal with Minshew. No, you can't. He played really well. But late in that game, in the second half, C.J. Stroud started to shine, started to show you who he was, and you felt like, we got something here, maybe. And then you go to the Jacksonville Jaguars the next week and beat them handily, and the rest is history as far as the 2023 campaign goes. That brings us to now. Everybody paying attention? Now it's Texans, Colts, going for only your 11th all-time win against this franchise, this villain, this nemesis. It's them. But guess who doesn't care about any of it? The young players. They don't care. They don't mind. They don't know what this is all about. Some of the guys remember last year, maybe a few two years ago. And, of course, you have the longtime people. You have Kareem back. He understands it. But it doesn't matter. It's all about C.J. Stroud and his merry band of pass catchers and the guys paving the way for the ground game. And they don't care about the history. They just know it's a divisional opponent. And they know that if they win, they are in. All right, let's get to our buddy Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, and talk about this weekend's game. Matt, how's it going today? I'm doing fantastic, Mark. Always good to be with you. What's going on? Happy New Year. Happy New Year and a huge matchup Saturday night. Let's get to this now. Your preseason expectations of the Colts versus where you are at this moment. Do they match up or not? Uh, I hate to give you a cop-out answer, but I, I really I didn't have any expectations because I didn't know what to expect with this team with at the time, uh, a rookie quarterback, right, the fourth overall pick, and Anthony Richardson, who had played only 13 games in college, uh, a rookie head coach in Shane Steichen, 
basically a brand new offensive system, a brand new offensive coaching staff outside of Reggie Wayne, who was the only holdover. Uh, I, I knew it was going to be interesting. That, that was the only thing that I was assured of uh, from the Colts here in 2023. So it's been up, it's been down. There's been a lot of highs and some lows, some disappointing outcomes and maybe some upset wins that maybe the fan base uh, didn't see coming along the way. But um, the fact that here they are, you know, 4-12-1 in 2022 to now 9-7 and in 2023 with a chance to punch their ticket to the postseason, just like the Texans. Um, I mean, this has been a, a crazy, crazy year, and I think a surprising year. Um, I didn't think they'd make the playoffs this year, so I guess they are uh, exceeding expectations. But it's been a, a very, very fun season under Shane Steich, and the Colts are assured a winning season in his rookie campaign, just like D'Amico Ryan's there with the Houston Texans. So um, this is going to be really, really fun, I think, for years to come with uh, two outstanding quarterbacks in the division, two really rising stars at the head coaching spots between the Colts and the Texans. It just enhances this rivalry, I think, even further between these two franchises. Yeah, we didn't really get to see what Shane Steichen was ultimately going to do with Anthony Richardson and how he would develop. And you see what C.J. Stroud has done with a bunch of games, and Richardson didn't get that, but he looked good in the short amount of time he was in there. But tell me about Gardner Minshew, Shane Steichen, the chemistry, what Minshew's doing well at the quarterback position, because you don't get this far without him playing well. No, there's no doubt about that. You know, obviously, you know, free agency happens before the draft and before the Colts could even uh, put their sights on Anthony Richardson fourth overall. They needed somebody to come in and give them a good insurance policy should Anthony Richardson or whoever quarterback they drafted wasn't ready. Or if that guy suffered an injury, they needed somebody to keep him competitive in games. And that's exactly who Gardner Minshew is. And that's why they brought him in in free agency. Um, there's a lot of familiarity there between Steichen and Minshew, two years together in Philadelphia. So there was a lot of trust and certainly a lot of familiarity between the scheme um, and the offense that Gardner Minshew ran in Philadelphia. I mean, I think if you were giving Minshew some some truth serum, if you will, he would he would tell you, hey, the reason I'm here is because of Shane Steichen. And it was a chance to come in and compete for the job and and, and obviously have a good chance to play. And that has certainly come to fruition, I think, coming up on, on Sunday or Saturday night in this case. Um, for Minchie, this is going to be his 12th start of the season. But, you know, Gardner, or excuse me, Anthony Richardson goes down in the beginning of the season, you know, got the game four. And Minshew has kept this team competitive. And has it looked pretty and aesthetically clean the entire season? No, absolutely not. I mean, they're two different players. You know, Richardson's, you know, obviously way more dynamic being able to run the ball, uh, the RPO, the read option game. Minshew is a quick rhythm, uh, get, the, get the ball out fast uh, type of quarterback, go through your reads real quick and get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. So I think it's different in that regard. And, you know, you look at Minshew's season to this point, I mean, he's probably in the 20s uh, in terms of rankings and all of the major quarterback uh, categories and stats. You know, you talk about uh, yards yards uh, per completion and passing yards and completion percentage, yards per attempt. I mean, he's not going to be confused with a top five quarterback, but I think Minshew has this unique ability to compartmentalize and flush negative plays and just keep on playing and be that backyard, you know, quarterback, uh, you know, game manager that he is. 
And he's just a really, really fun player to watch. And he doesn't give up just like I think the, the MO of this team. And so this offense is, is really fun right now to watch under Gardner Minshew because every play is really eventful because of his scrambling ability, his pocket awareness, and just, again, that, that backyard football mentality that he has to keep every play alive and to give the playmakers a chance to make plays. All right, Matt, how are they running the football so well? Because I'm blown away by this. It doesn't matter who's in there. The Colts can run the rock against the Steelers. I'm like the DiCaprio meme pointing to the screen. They're still running the ball. There's no Moss, no Taylor. They're still <laughs> running the ball. What is the secret? The O-line looks like the band is back together and playing well again. What do you think? It is. They got Braden Smith back at the right tackle position on, on Sunday against the Raiders. He had missed three games with that uh, knee injury. So to get him back is, is really, really uh, exceptional for the Colts because, you know, I, I know you've talked about the Texans offensive line being banged up and a lot of shuffling going on up front within that unit. The Colts have experienced maybe not to the same degree the Texans have, but they've had to use um, some reserve parts, you know, mainly um, – Blake Freeland, either at right tackle or left tackle. Um, Bernard Ryman, their outstanding left tackle. Second-year players missed some games. Ryan Kelly's missed some games. So they've had to rely on the depth. But uh, for the most part this year, consistently being able to move the ball on the ground has been there for this team, which is a credit, again, to Shane Steichen in terms of the scheme and how creative they've been able to, in, in, in terms of being able to run the ball, whether that's you know with Zach Moss or Jonathan Taylor, who's back now. Um, but I will say this, lately it's, it's kind of been feast or famine. Uh, really in the month of December, the Colts are either running the ball really, really well or it's a struggle. I mean, Cincinnati, it was a struggle to, to move the ball in general and to, in the, especially to run the ball on the ground. You know, that Pittsburgh game, that was the feast part of the equation. I think there was one part of that Pittsburgh game in the second half where they just completely you know, tore the will out of uh, Pittsburgh's soul in order to compete on defense. The Colts on one drive, ran it 13 consecutive plays um, before settling for a field goal. Um, it, was, it wasn't there in Atlanta on Christmas Eve, but it did come back against the Raiders, rushing for over 100 yards. And it's just situational football for the Colts. That's the biggest thing. You know, Shane Steichen always says, we're going to throw it to score, and then we're going to run it to win, to salt the game away, to get first downs, to kind of, again, take the will out of the defense. That's when we want to be able to run the ball situational right four minutes in the game get a couple of first downs pound you up front um, and I think for the most part that's what the Colts have been able to do and that's been their recipe for success on offense all right let's talk defense Matt Taylor voice of the Colts joining us and I don't know where to start I mean when I look at DeForest Buckner and then I hear our guys talking about Zaire Franklin and EJ Speed obviously no Shaq Leonard anymore but it doesn't seem to matter really Franklin's having a hell of a year. The tackle numbers are ridiculous. What about the D, Matt? Yeah, the defense, I mean, I think we talked about this at the beginning of the season. There are Pro Bowl players and Pro Bowl caliber caliber players in all three levels of that defense. You talked about Buckner uh, up front, and then you also have Grover Stewart, who's one of the best, you know, run-stuffing defensive tackles in the game. And then on the outside, you got Quiddy Pay, Samson Ebicom, Dio Adangbo, I think if I'm not mistaken, Mark, the Colts are the only team in the NFL to have four pass rushers or four uh, players along their defensive line to have at least seven sacks. So it's kind of diverse. They hit you in different ways. And then they've got, you know, reserve players like Taekwon Lewis that come into the game. He's an incredibly efficient player. 
and that he's disruptive, but he only, he's only playing about 35, 40% of the snaps. So they hit you in waves, different, um, different ways they can get after the quarterback. They push you up front and they come from the outside. And then the linebackers, like you talked about, I think the Colts have maybe the two best linebacker combination in the NFL right now. Maybe I'm missing out on some other combinations, but you got Zaire Franklin and then EJ Speed is just one of the best football players I've ever seen. He plays so hard. He is so fast. He hits you with every particle of his body. Uh, he's just a really, really good football player. He's a downhill tackler. He can cover in space. And then the back end, that's kind of the tricky part of this, this Colts defense right now. Kenny Moore, the second, didn't play last week. He was out with a back injury. So that really tested the Colts' depth in the secondary because Julian Blackman went out with an injury a couple of weeks ago. He's done for the season with a shoulder injury. So on the outside of the cornerback spots, Mark, you had two rookies. You had Jalen Jones, who was drafted in the seventh round. You had Juju Brents, who was a second-round pick for the Colts. They were your outside guys. Then in the secondary, you had a second-year player in Nick Cross and then Ronnie Harrison Jr., who the Colts picked up about halfway through training camp. They actually transitioned him from safety to linebacker, but then in a pinch last week, they moved him from linebacker back to safety. Played really well, all things considered. But then they had Chris Lamont, who had never started a game in the NFL, had never started, obviously, or never played uh, the nickel cornerback position. He had to play the inside corner spot with uh, Kenny Moore's injury. Um, and so I, I think all that kind of hodgepodging and, and mismatching, it worked out well for a game, but they're trying to figure out their best personnel lineup in the secondary and trying to get Kenny Moore back into this game for this win-and-end playoff-type game against the Texans. Matt Taylor, Voice of the Colts, joining us. All right, let's turn our attention to a game that we're both interested in, especially whoever wins this one Saturday night, Matt, will be watching the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Tennessee Titans. What do you think of the Jaguars' journey this season? How have you viewed it? Well, it's it's kind of like uh, the Colts' season last year. Maybe not to that degree, but, you know, kind of the tailspin at the end of the year, you know, some injuries and then, you know, some inconsistencies on defense. You're playing a tough schedule. I mean, that was evident, you know, the last couple of weeks. You know, Everybody watched that Ravens game on Sunday night football. Baltimore just looks like the best team, you know, in the universe right now in terms of how well they're playing. So that was going to be a tough game for them. But um, it's all eyes right now on Trevor Lawrence if, if he's going to be able to play in this game. Uh, Tennessee's on a little bit of a free fall. You might be wondering, you know, what they're going to be doing long-term at the head coaching position and Mike Vrabel, what they're going to do at quarterback. Is Will Levis the guy? It doesn't sound like Will Levis is going to play in this game. How much fight will the Titans have for the Jaguars in a game where they're trying to clinch the division for the second straight year? So it's, 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 it's going to be a fascinating division, as I said. It's going to be a really good group of, of four teams now going forward. I mean, you've got some really good head coaches. You've got great quarterbacks. You know, the Colts have some free agency questions they're going to have to answer in the offseason. But for the most part, you know, the nucleus is here for this team if they can continue to grow around Anthony Richardson. Um, but, you know, I, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be playing some spirited football under Doug Peterson. I'd be shocked if they lost that game, to be honest with you, um, which is obviously a negative thing for either the Colts or the Texans, whoever wins that game on Saturday night. Um, I, I, I thought that Jacksonville was the best team in the division from start to finish. Obviously, they've hit some speed bumps along the way. But I would be really, really surprised with all that's on the line for them, their ability to host a playoff game, win the division for the first time or for the second straight year, 
um, you know, for the first time in back-to-back seasons, uh, first time for them in their franchise's history. I just be, would be shocked if they didn't win this game and close it out in Week 18. Matt, what do you think the best team is that you've played? I know Baltimore is record-wise, but what win are you really proud of or is the organization really proud of? Is there one more than that, or is that the one? Because it was relatively early. Week three, Colts defeated the Ravens by three. Yeah, that that was obviously a really impressive game for the Colts. They won in overtime. That was the game where Matt Gay had to make five field goals over 50 yards. Um, they got some turnovers in that game. Um, that obviously helped, you know, every, able to kick some field goals on short fields. Um, but, yeah, th- I mean, I think the Ravens are just stratospherically right now in a different uh, universe than, than everybody else, certainly in the AFC. They've just been killing teams. I mentioned that Jaguars game. You know, they, they killed the, the Ravens, the, other, the uh, Dolphins the other day. They killed San Francisco, maybe the best team in the NFC right now. So, yeah, I think if you look back on week three, it was a long, long time ago, just like week two was in this uh, first meeting between the Colts and the Texans. I'll tell you, a, a really deceptive win for the Colts during this run here is they've won six of their last eight. Uh, a game that I was really impressed by with the Colts was their win, I think it was the Sunday after Thanksgiving, where they knocked off Tampa Bay. Tampa was playing pretty good football. Baker Mayfield got banged up in mm. that game. But the defense did a nice job consistently throughout that game. Jonathan Taylor ran well. He was over 90 yards in that game. The offensive line, like we talked about, had a consistent push um, throughout most of that ball game. It was a close game, and that's been the biggest difference for the Colts this year compared to last year. I mean, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know. The NFL is, a, is just filled with parity. All of these games come down to the last four minutes. They're all one-score games seemingly. So if you can be good in one-score games, you, you typically make the playoffs. And that's been the biggest difference this year for the Colts compared to last. Colts last year were, I think they were four, six, and one in one score games. This year they're six and two. I mean, that's that, being able to mm-hmm. win in crunch time and being able to close out games and make enough plays, again, in the, in the last four minutes on offense and defense, that was one of those games where the Colts did enough to win that football game and made plays on both sides of the ball against Tampa Bay. And again, you know, out of eight games, they've won six of them that have been decided by one score. That's been the biggest difference, I think, culturally and buy-in-wise from Shane Stocking compared to last year with uh, Jeff Saturday and uh, Frank Reich. One more, Matt. What's the vibe like in Indy right now for this one Saturday night? Both teams match up, primetime game, all the marbles to get to the postseason anyway. What is the vibe in town? I mean, it's bonkers right now. It's bonkers. I mean, this is – it's a playoff game, right, because the Colts mm-hmm. can't make the playoffs with a loss just like the Texans. So the next time either one of these teams loses, the season is over. So, I mean, it's just crazy to think about it. I know we were talking about this earlier, but week 18 last year with these two teams at Lucas Oil Stadium, Mark, you could have bought a ticket for like 15 bucks. Now you can buy a ticket for a couple more zeros on the end of that because of the importance of this one. I think everybody around here is just, they've fallen in love with Shane um, and the culture the Colts are building. They're excited about Gardner Minshew. Um, they're obviously way more excited about Anthony Richardson in terms of his future, but they kind of like this team with the way that it fights, the way that it, it competes, um, the way they're able to kind of bounce back and not turn one bad loss into two and so on and so forth. So it's just, it's going to be really, really fun. And 
you know, one thing that I, I didn't really think about until the drive in today kind of hit me that, you know, the Colts are going to be playing on prime time for the first time all season. And I know the Texans mm-hmm. are as well. I think that for the Texans, it's going to be the first time they're playing outside of the one o'clock Eastern time Sunday window all season long. So it's a huge chance, you know, for both teams to showcase their talent to a, to a bigger audience, you know, people that don't get to see the Colts or the Texans play on a week in and week out basis. And um, yeah, it's a playoff game and the postseason and that mentality, it starts now. I know Shane Steichen's really dialed in and I know the fan base is excited for this game as well. As Bart Scott once said, can't wait. Let's do it Saturday night, Matt. Thanks so much for the time. My pleasure. See you soon. And soon is Saturday night. That's Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. So let's get it on here. Texans and the Horseshoe, 715 kick, Sports Radio 610, the Bull 100.3 FM, and the Texans app, Odyssey app, Sirius XM, all of it. Check it out. Can't wait. Thanks so much for listening. Hit subscribe wherever you can possibly hit subscribe and listen to all the other Texans podcasts as well. And go Texans!